0: Welcome back to the Fleet Navigator Podcast, your go-to GPS guide for all fleet matters from Lease Plan for 2022. I'm Matthew Walters, Head of Consultancy Services at LeasePlan UK, and today I'm joined again by Caroline Sandrell-Mansur, Specialist Fleet Consultant. Morning, Caroline. Hello, Pat. Well, 2021, what a year that was. The pandemic is, of course, far from over. Thankfully, we are starting to see some light at the end of the tunnel, especially with the vaccine programme that has given us something at least of our normal lives back.
1: Yes, I think it's been interesting reflecting back on everything that's happened over the past couple of years, particularly for fleets. We've seen enormous change that's you know, obviously been forced upon us, but fleets also recognising that it's created some opportunities to look at the way they do business. Certainly... We all know business mileage has changed and for many fleets has changed in a permanent way. But also we're seeing a lot of fleets taking a bit of a step back and saying, how does this now impact our EV journey? For some of them, it's sped it up. For some of them, it's meant that they've got the opportunity to look at different sorts of vehicles. So that wider ripple effect is quite substantial. And we're we're seeing that and have been seeing that for the past 18 months.
0: It's been interesting to to see where fleets have almost been able to hit pause, isn't it? And, and give some thought as business mileages, overall mileages have kind of collapsed whilst people have been working from home and getting used to new working patterns. Fleets have actually been able to sort of take stock and think, well, actually, where do we go? And what's really pleasing to see, I guess, for for me and for you and, and for everybody else involved is just how many fleets are not only wanting to take the first step on that EV journey, but really, really making that commitment that they want to move fast. I mean, forget twenty thirty although we will obviously talk about twenty thirty during the course of this podcast. Most fleets are now just saying we want to go by twenty twenty five we want to go five years early, and not only do we want to get there you know and have all of the renewals in our in our replacement bucket, we actually want to get there and convert our entire fleet
1: and some being fairly aggressive in their targets mm-hmm. and what they want to achieve and and saying that we just have to work around the fact that. For some people, there is still an inconvenience factor, particularly if they can't charge at home. But increasingly, we're seeing fleets taking very, very bold measures. And, you know, that changes the, the way that they might have set out their strategy versus a couple of years ago. And maybe not having as many planned stages of what they want to do and taking that leap straight to EVs. And interestingly, we've also seen, haven't we, that a lot of fleets are now taking a second look at hybrids and saying, at what point do we stop hybrids? So many are already setting their dates for the removal of petrol and diesel. But increasingly, I'm seeing fleets that really don't want to have hybrids around at all. They want to take that immediate leap because quite rightly they're saying, well, if you can charge at home, then you should have an EV. Why would you have a hybrid? Hybrids have a place, but increasingly people are saying that that's a very, very short-term place. And it's more, you know, emergency measures because hybrids really aren't necessarily the right way to go.
0: It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, now we've had, what, maybe three or four years of popular hybrids, shall we say, in inverted commas, and we're now even kind of seeing um, the manufacturers coming up with their mild hybrids, so those that really are not designed to be plugged in. And it's interesting that fleets are recognising what you and I have been saying for for many years that obviously the stated mileages i mean we see it as 252 miles per gallon on some of these new hybrids they're just not and they're not as economical as 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 a normal petrol or a normal diesel by the time you've mounted batteries etc unless you are charging those vehicles it's actually going to cost you more money and we you and i have both engaged with customers as the rest of the team have seen you know fuel bills increase dramatically where people have introduced hybrids and wondered why it's kind of gone kind of skyrocketing and and of course they're heavier and they're less environmentally friendly less economical so yeah i think i think most fleets are as you quite rightly say saying well if you can charge from home have an ev
1: it also stresses the importance of really as you said pausing and looking at what you need and what's going to work for your drivers and what is the right thing to do and plug-in hybrids have a place but only if you're going to plug them in and you know historically they 've had a place because of of that BIK positive position for drivers, but really if you 're going to take that leap, the leap should ideally be straight to EV and you know yes, have some backup measures for those drivers that need it, but again, that kind of population has, has changed where drivers are not doing as many miles, maybe fewer needs drivers. the makeup of their travel patterns has also changed
0: yeah, as you quite rightly say about the needs driver side it's um... You know, the things have changed. Things are different. You mentioned the benefit in kind. We'll we'll talk a little bit about, more about that later. So I guess for the purposes of this podcast, so this is all about what 22 has in store for fleets, for us as fleet professionals, um, for for the providers out there. So we've picked out seven key things really uh, to look for throughout the course of this year. Seven kind of hot topics that will be on people's agenda. So I guess probably very prescient. We sit here on the on the on the third of February as we record on the 29th of January some of the most far-reaching changes have come into place for the highway code that we've seen since seatbelts were introduced you know what back into the late 70s and it's kind of kind of easy to get distracted by by some of the headlines but these you know this this concept now where a hierarchy of of, of duty of care in essence has now been introduced for all road users so obviously this just isn't for fleets. Fleets may, may feel it more than most because obviously your, your drivers will be doing, generally speaking, more mileage than most as they return to, you know, seeing customers and, and being out and about more. And it's important to recognise, you know, some of the highlights, really. It is this new hierarchy of road users, new priorities for pedestrians, and um, new rules to protect cyclists, sections of the code on waiting and parking, including something interesting called the Dutch Reach, which is essentially where your Opening for for those that are wondering, it's essentially where you need to open your car door with your opposite arm. So if you're the driver, you need to open your door with your left hand, which forces you to look over your shoulder, which is you know an interesting change. Secondly, addressing some of the challenges of electric vehicle cables trailing across pathways, causing trip hazards, etc. Now, it's not for me and Caroline to take you through every single change of the code. Uh, I guess for me as a keen cyclist, I would I would make the observations that some of the cycling ones are more key than others. To dispel myths, no, cyclists won't be riding in the middle of the road all the time, and they won't be riding to abreast. But, you know, more care needs to be given. And I guess from a specific point of view, be careful when you're turning left as motorists, because some of the rules have changed in terms of priorities for pedestrians. There has been some concerns raised, particularly by the AA and some of the uh, motorist associations around potentially more insurance frauds happening, where People are, you know, deliberately running into the back of others as these rules change, etc. Concerns over if I am slowing down for someone turning left, will the road user behind me recognise that that's what I'm doing, etc. But I think, as always, if you follow the rules of the road and make sure you stay safe and are considerate to other road users, there really shouldn't be a problem. It's also important to stress that the Highway Code is a set of uh, guidelines, principles, not necessarily everything in there is in law. But again, it's up to you as road users and motorists and fleet professionals to make sure that you're up to date with the changes and also up to date with the latest rules of the road. There's also some other changes to be aware of, so fines for sleepy drivers, unlimited fines if people don't get sufficient sleep and stricter mobile phone usage. Interestingly, that's kind of been extended to any handheld devices now and is there to discourage touching effectively anything other than what's in the cockpit of your car and attached to the vehicle. And again, there's been some fairly loud-voiced op- um, you know, opposition to some of this stuff, and I think it's important to recognise that actually saying you're not allowed to touch your phone to move a playlist on is not the spirit of why this is being introduced. It's because the temptation to do other things whilst you're doing that is then very, very strong for you. If you could absolutely simply say, well, I'm only using it to do this, maybe the rules wouldn't have been necessary. But as we've seen with you know, the increase in road deaths and the increase in mobile phone usage, and I'm sure you have all seen offenders out there using their mobile phones. Um, I actually saw a lady reading using her mobile phone behind me on the motorway the other day, which I thought was quite fascinating. Very low speed, but you know, still the, the principle is there. So those rules are being tightened up. And of course, you can get up to a £200 fine or up to six points. In essence, it's going to be much, much easier for police to prosecute for any usage of a mobile phone. But you can read more on the Gov website um, and as always um, you can read the articles on Insights which is www.insights.co.uk um, so some quite interesting introductions. Caroline, any of your thoughts on, on what's come in as a an ex-fleet manager?
1: Yeah, I think we'd all welcome the increased awareness particularly around handheld devices and I think if we all think back over the past 10 to 15 years we've probably all been guilty of it But I think within the industry, our increased knowledge and awareness of just how dangerous that is and the cognitive interference that using your phone causes you. And if you think in the round about all these changes, it is focusing on increasing your awareness and creating new sets of guidelines and rules to make sure that your concentration is where it needs to be. And that's on the road at all times. So for drivers, yes, there are specifics that they must be aware of. But it's also just saying to them, you know, just be prepared. So if you know you're going on a long journey, get your playlist ready, get your podcast ready. You know, don't put yourself in a position where you're wanting to pick up your phone and start fiddling around with your playlists. So, yes, I think it's important that fleets make sure that that drivers are made aware and that they then do go on. And obviously some fleets will want to um, increase their training um, to specifically make contact with those drivers and and deliver that message but by and large these are things that will help us to make everybody that's using the roads whether they're in a vehicle on a bike or or physically crossing the road with their two feet um, is to make those people safer and if you look at some of the statistics around injuries and deaths we do have cause for concern so yeah i think personally i I welcome the changes in terms of protection for for all of us
0: good Well, we said we've picked out seven key topics. We should we should probably move on to to number two. Um, so, we're going to talk a little bit about cost of fuel, and probably for the first time, actually, we're going to have extend that to talking about the cost of energy as well, as we've seen energy prices start to increase. So, home energy, um, and interesting the effect that that's starting to have on kind of public access charging and um, electricity and gas. So, Caroline, talk talk to us a little bit about cost of fuel and energy.
1: Well crikey, haven't we seen some change in the past few months and we are likely to see more change. Um, as we record today, we're hearing what government are, are going to do um, around easing some of that burden. I was unfortunate enough that our energy provider went bust last summer so I've seen some of our household <laughs> bills go up quite considerably <laughs> Me too. Um, and will be going up again so it's it's something that's going to be affecting all of us. and. It's not to say that there's no end in sight but certainly there's more to come and for fleets it's something to really play close attention to because whilst business mileage has gone down there are still substantial costs to bear um, when people are driving on business and it's something that we hope that revenue will be also playing close attention to and reflecting those changes in the AFRs and particularly the AERs Mm -hmm. um, because drivers obviously see that impact as soon as that price change hits the streets and in terms of what they're able to claim if they're on a set rate then it's impacting everybody straight away
0: yeah it's an interesting one that you you talk about the AER I mean we've seen discrepancies over the years between the AFR and and what people's mileage is actually costing them but if I you know if I if I look at my own situation my energy bill literally is just about to double so the five pence AER that I was claiming was sufficient when I'm, you know, I'm I'm being charged 16 pence a kilowatt hour at home, it most certainly will not be sufficient when I'm being charged 30 32 pence a kilowatt hour. So that kind of doubling in percentage terms, you kind of look at it and go, well, it's 5p or it's 2p or it's 3p, but in percentage terms, that's that's a yawning gulf, and the government, you know, revenue government etc raise the AAR rates to five pence at the beginning of December and they have committed to reviewing it on the same basis as they do AFRs so that will be on quarter by quarter basis but I think come March come April they really need to do a serious review on where energy prices are and where energy prices are going um, because otherwise you are going to start disincentivising people from driving their electric vehicles when when the price gap is so much and of course we know that the government have said that you can pay on actual cost where you can evidence it and obviously still claim it from from a corporation tax and from a valid business expense purpose providing you can prove it that's pretty hard when we don't have split tariffs and you can't apportion business and mileage charging effectively against your business and private mileage charges now what's interesting is there are as expected you know more and more technologists and more and more companies in in fact you know the lease plan miles product is able to do something you know quite different and quite clever in terms of apportioning actuals to kind of relieve some of this burden on drivers but even that kind of has a little bit of a catch up but again in, you know i would encourage fleets and i would encourage you as fleet managers and fleet professionals to look at what what your options are as those costs increase because your drivers are going to get more and more noisy
1: and i think we're in a a real pinch point situation as well, because those prices are increasing um, to more and more people. And with today's announcements and what happens come April, that sensitivity around the timing of revenue reviewing those rates also becomes critical. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how bold they may go come the next review. But then, you know, we're waiting three months from review to review, and in that period of time, energy costs are going up. It's only going up and going up at quite a rate, as we can see. So, so yes, it is one that fleets really need to pay close attention to. And, yes, as you said, explore the options that are available to try to make sure that, that everything is fair on drivers, that it's also manageable, that there are practical solutions in place to be able to control and manage for this. I think it's also going to be interesting to look at how that does affect people's perception and understanding of the comparison between an electric and a diesel because it's not just that the pence per mile rate for electric's going up. You know, the price around fuel is changing in lots of different ways. So you can't just say, well, you know, this kind of erodes the value of an electric vehicle because it doesn't and it's certainly not going to shrink that gap. But what we're also seeing is The cost of petrol diesel is is changeable and has stayed at a much higher rate for some period of time how that then translates into how you look at your total cost of ownership so considering just the metal and the rental and and maintenance and so on but then looking at your fuel and energy usage and comparing and contrasting and i think for lots that will require probably focusing in on fleets within fleets so looking at your different driving populations and how this might impact different people in different ways particularly those that are driving a lot on business so yes it's making our lives a bit more complicated there's lots more to be aware of and to monitor and measure and we're starting to do that with a few fleets as well is is looking at how that does impact the way that they structure choice lists the way that those choice lists are reviewed the regularity in particular of that review especially where the choice list might be quite short and quite small. And we will be talking around the impact of semiconductors and so on a bit later on. But again, it's it's another thing to really keep a very close eye on and and keep trying to understand the impact for your fleet.
0: And of course, we have a, a spring statement coming up on the 23rd of March. Fuel duty freeze again? Yes? No? What do we think?
1: Well, I think it will be a... Certainly brave Chancellor to um, step away from having things frozen and if you think of the wider context of what's going on around the general cost of things but equally would or might we see them start to announce their plans for other tax mechanisms <laughs> so you know they might the the fuel duty freeze. yeah that you know that's going to come and hopefully that will be announced sooner rather than later so that we can all start to understand um the direction that government in, intend to take but yeah i think it will be a brave chancellor to to walk away from a freeze and and have something else that's increasing in
0: cost yeah. I'm inclined to agree. And I and I remind our listeners, you know, that the Chancellor must announce a freeze. Um, legislation is already in play and already in the Red Book, which is an increase in fuel duty by CPI or RPI, whichever is the higher. And we all know where CPI and RPI are just at the moment. So if a freeze is not announced, it goes up automatically. So that's kind of just a reminder. We mentioned road user pricing. That's going to be very, very significant as we move to 2030. And we've got more and more EVs on the road. And actually, finally, combustion engine vehicles are completely banned from, from retail sale. So, you know, what, what are we th- I mean, road user pricing, it's going to happen, right? I mean, it is the only obvious solution to £34 billion worth of lost duty. That doesn't include VAT on fuel, by the way. That's just the amount of duty. I know that's a sickening feeling to those of you that are um, still filling up at pumps you know we're not all fortunate enough to drive electric vehicles yet so that's an obvious thing and the government don't seem to be doing what we've been urging them to do for the last 18 months or so which is to consult with the professional bodies and consult early so as not to rush legislation through and not to do something knee-jerk which is not going to help anybody so is that kind of your feeling on this as well that you just need to talk and you just need to do something about it
1: well, and yes, it's inevitable, but this is a gigantic change. It's huge. And, and not from just a practical perspective, but, but the way that that's structured and how you introduce rose user pricing that is going to be fair... Because if you look at the different profiles of different drivers and the geographical influence on that, you know, somebody that, that lives in East Anglia is probably going to do a bit more miles than somebody that, you know, like yourself that lives near Bristol. Hmm. So how they're going to do that so that it is fair is spectacularly difficult. You know, it, it's a massive, massive challenge. But it has to happen and certainly you and I in years gone by have sat in the room with Treasury and with revenue yep. and we've talked about you know, how that could work and the sorts of things to look at. So, this has been rolling on for several years now and I think the clock is ticking as pressure on government to really get into the detail because it's it's going to take years. And yes, you look at vehicles and the amount of data that's flowing around. There are more opportunities to understand how people are using the network, et cetera, et cetera. And you've got cameras and you know all those sorts of things, but the actual structure is going to take a lot of consultation. And certainly it's something that we push through for, with the industry bodies that we talk yeah. to to try to get that consultation accelerated because there is so much to consider. And you you and I both know, um, many of the listeners in it will know that this is something that has scared successive governments because it's always been recognised as a vote loser.
0: Yeah.
1: So how do they transition the thinking of the public away from, not, in theory, not paying road usage charges, even though every time you fill up your tank and drive a mile, you effectively are. It's an enormous shift in mindset. So it's not just the technical aspect, but how are they going to take the public through to a very different way of thinking? probably the more the far more difficult thing to do rather than just technically how do we achieve this
0: it's a toughie that's for sure but you know eight years is not long to to look at something like this really um if if we consider the 2030 deadline and lost revenues up until then but yeah it is i think that's one of the toughest toughest things to come and actually i would I think I would broadly welcome a consultation being launched in the summer. Um you know they've kicked it they kicked it into the long grass in 2020 and 2021 and I you know there's no there's no finger pointing there I have absolutely no surprise that that they've done that with everything that's been going on. Let's hope uh, as things start to get to return to normal that in 2022 I think we're probably going to see the raft of consultations that we were expecting last year in the summer as 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 parliament take their recess. We should probably move on um, because we might end up getting political and no one wants that. So, other motoring taxes. Um, So... Fuel duty isn't obviously; it's not the only motoring tax on the government's to-do list. Um, we've got, you know, uh, we've got vehicle excise duty as well, uh, and and reforms. We still haven't seen the reforms, the expected reforms for vans and commercial vehicles. Those those still aren't in. Um, it was long mooted that those were going to come in based on uh, CO2 emissions. And again, that's if you think about passenger cars, that's fairly straightforward to do. It's you know, once a vehicle's been registered yes we all know co2 increases during a during a car's life but in essence it goes through a certification process and it is what it is of course with commercial vehicles it can have racking it can have you know tail lifts it can have drop sides it can have lots and lots of different modifications that change its co2 from you know when it was registered and then what do you do about wltp and what do you do about you know that that kind of process and again that's that's quite a, a knotty problem. Looking beyond motoring taxes, you know, we're still waiting for the government to announce the outcome of a number of reviews. We've seen the consultations in the summer about zero emission mandates, which is good, right? This is a good thing to to say, actually, we're going to put our best foot forward and we are going to have a zero emission vehicle mandate. But saying you're going to do something is is all very well but the detail in well how are you going to do it and what does it look like what is the quantity what are you going to do if manufacturers fail to meet their conditions under it so i actually applaud the government that that they've introduced this and and brought in which is you know one step further than some of the cafe regulations go but they really need some detail don't they
1: very much so you think there's still an awful long way to go to to get to the numbers that we want to see and 2030 is rapidly looming and if you think where we are now versus where we need to be the next probably two or three years are really really important in accelerating that transition so it's fantastic that so many companies are adopting electric vehicles and drivers are adopting electric vehicles because that then plays through into the used car market in another two three four years time which is a great thing is it going far enough? Are, are we doing enough? Obviously, we've been hampered by supply and lead times, and we will be living with that for a bit more time to come, unfortunately. <laughs> but what else do government need to do in the next two to three years to to really push it forwards? Because yes, the cheaper, more value end of the, of the products there is is coming in the next you know few months, next year or so, which is a great thing. But I think that that more retail targeted, the people that are changing their cars every six years and spending, you know, less than five thousand pounds on a vehicle, I don't really see that kind of pathway to, to reaching that section of the population. So I would like to see, you know, okay, up to twenty thirty, but thereafter, how are we actually going to help those that, that can't afford to have a Polestar? that don't have a company car what's you know that's that's a lot of that's a lot of our drivers so i don't really see what the pathway is for that population um and what we are doing now in order to help that population to transition into an electric vehicle and certainly i I think for the feedback and you know it's in various news articles that a lot of that population are, are almost saying well i just can't see it happening
0: yeah, I think that second hand market piece is one that needs to be wrestled with. And indeed fleets and, and fleet companies now more than ever in, in some of the really close consultation that we've seen with Ozev, Government, Treasury, Revenue. And that's been that I have to say that's been really encouraging over kind of the last eighteen months, two years. There's been a, a real seismic change in the way those bodies want to consult. I mean, the last, you know, I know it's very rock and roll, but the last three tax advisory group meetings and public affairs meetings that I've attended at BVRLA, British Vehicle and Rental and Leasing Association, I can hear Andy Rainder's little chime there going in the background, um, you know, OZEV have been present, they've been in the room, as have Treasury, as have HMRC, they, they want to understand, they do now understand the parts that fleet have to play and they are starting to think about that as you know your fleet vehicles come back and first and second generation electric vehicles come back off fleet and into the second-hand market how do we make sure that those vehicles are most available in inverted commas for the general public and that second-hand retail segment it's really important and i'm I'm sure there'll be a number of you as well who are kind of saying what about hybrids post 2030 i guess it's fair to touch on them because the legislation does allow for them beyond 2030 however the legislation does say only the most economical and only the most environmentally friendly hybrids and i think you and i are in broad agreement on this by the time we get to probably 26 27 don't think anyone's going to be talking about hybrids anymore are they
1: well, when you look at the advances that have already been made with electric vehicles and what's coming and that's not just about range but it's also the speed of charging to make it you know more practical more usable you won't have to stop for as long in order to to top your miles up if you if you're out and about or even plugging in at home you know it, it makes it easier for a wider group of people to to adopt but yeah i really hope that government do recognise that the company car market is so crucial in supporting that used car market and that that translates into more supportive benefit in kind tables in years to come, that we don't see those suddenly leaping up, because we all know that our drivers, given the choice, in the most part, will want to go to an ev, and it's the it's the inconvenience factor whilst the charging infrastructure improves. That perhaps stops them and yes some of that is perception and some of that perception is is incorrect as we know around misunderstanding of electric vehicles and you know you still see it all over social media the sorts of things that people <laughs> believe to be true that when you hand it back after three years it needs a new battery that costs more than the car itself <laughs> and you read the things i think no, it doesn't <laughs> where did you get that from there's still a huge amount of misinformation around and and that's also i think something that I'd like to see government take more active a role in, particularly in the next couple of years where we are at this real point where we can turn a corner and, and really accelerate that adoption because most of it is, is driven by fleet at the moment. And, and yes, because we can and because we should um, and it's the right thing to do and you know, cost efficiency, et cetera, et cetera. But I think there's there's still a way to go in helping to convince that wider population and create the environment where they are able to change their cars.
0: I agree. CAS and zones will
1: help there, I think.
0: I think they will. But and
1: That's a bit more of a, a stick rather than, yeah.
0: Yeah, I know. Well, we'll come on to CAS zones. And I think one of the things, quickly harking back to the Highway Code, I think one of the things that social media, the news, press everybody is in broad agreement with. Um, Irrespective of the changes is actually that more could have been done ahead of time to communicate uh, more widely by the government what those changes were and and what it meant. you You only need to go onto YouTube and you'll find a dozen different videos of interpretations. And I think exactly the same on EVs. If you, if you want to take a population with you, particularly you know the voting public, and we are a nation of car drivers, we know that, we love our cars still, then more needs to be done and, and there needs to be more communication. We, we talked about EVs, we talked about FEVs, let's talk about electric car grants, plug-in car grants and charging, Caroline.
1: Well, we all knew that the, the end was coming <laughs> before too long. And that was a, a joyful Christmas present for, for all of us. I don't think we were hugely surprised, if anything, no. surprised, that there was still some grant yeah. left over to be shared. I think the, um, the cap on a, a thousand for, for the van fleets is going to cause some challenges for those bigger fleets, and that I think that's somewhat unfortunate, perhaps, because some of those bigger fleets are being extremely aggressive in their targets that they're setting for themselves. Will that stop them from proceeding? By and large, probably not. Remains to be seen. But yes, it's um, it'll be interesting to see how, particularly on charge points, the grant structure and how that's applied will change come the spring because they're focusing on landlords and, and apartments and flats which is good because that's where it's really really needed um, but it'd be interesting to see how that then actually gets used and how many of those landlords and, and renters are able to take advantage of the grant for as, as long as it's made available.
0: It'll also be interesting for those of us such as you know leasing companies such as ourselves that tend to you know when we are including charge points for example um, when we are including those in our in our lease products and, and and provisioning those on is you know how if an individual says to us well i'm a i'm a renter and my landlord says that i qualify for the grant how do we prove it how do we claim it what's the process so i think that added complexity that's is 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 going to be you know writ large. Although what I would say, um, and again, kudos to Ozev here in, you know, they, yes, they introduced the grant changes, you know, at midnight um, in December so that they didn't get a rush on the grant. We understand that. And obviously they introduced the thousand vehicle stipulation. However, this time they did give some leave and they did give some latitude and acceptance that for people to change systems and ordering processes overnight is very, very difficult. So you had this kind of slight lag in terms of orders that were already in play to allow companies and and people like ourselves to continue to place orders that had already been placed, but not on the manufacturer to claim the grants. I think they did a better job this time round, I guess, didn't they?
1: Yeah, I think so. And I think that's testament to that increased engagement, as we've already said, that they, they are listening more than they've had before. And yes, that can always improve and get better. But let's face it, you know, we welcome the fact that, that we do have an ear now. Whereas in, in years gone by, it's a, been a little bit more like a battleground.
0: Yeah, I guess you know. And on the charge point, just to be clear, um, for those of you out there, this again is on www.insights.co.uk, um, and we've we've certainly talked about it in in previous publications. But your your charge point to qualify for the existing EVH scheme, which runs out at the end of uh, March, your charge point must be installed and in your paperwork through and on the website by midnight on the thirty first of March. So. We know as as lease plan, we've um, the grant has all we we have enough in the order bank in terms of installations now. Where we are starting to engage with customers in terms of what post march looks like because 350 pounds there or thereabout isn't a massive amount of money, but it's not insignificant. So, of course, we are awaiting the new rules on what the new EVHS scheme will look like. Good news is is that they've said that will be funded until 24 25. So caroline you mentioned clean air zones you've been doing a lot of work on this recently
1: yes and it's been an interesting exercise i think fair to say because we've known about the clean air zones coming for a while the shape and form of those has been up for change and continue to be up for change so look at, um, looking at you bristol look at you bristol and oxford and it's it is interesting, in as much as the things that we as fleet people were worried about a few years ago, we are still worried about. So, you know, different values, different zones, different makeups of zones, councils taking different approaches, councils saying they're going to introduce a clean air zone and then don't, or say it's going to work in this way and then it changes. We are still in that state of flux. Yeah. so it's still something that fleets really need to keep an eye on because the assumption you know six months ago that that was going to happen in that city therefore let's get ready for it not all of those changes have happened I and mean, we know manchester have pressed pause whilst those discussions with government go on and they are an, an enormous potential clean air zone
0: yes i saw um, uh, I saw mr burnham and uh, mr johnson were locking heads this morning
1: just a little just a little <laughs> We also seen that Scotland had some very challenging targets that they set themselves as they as they have done across the whole net zero piece. They are taking slightly smaller steps, even though it impacts quite a number of cities, but they are delaying the point at which um passenger cars have the zone applied to them in terms of charges coming through and trying to take more steps. terms of helping their communities to to adopt EVs so you know there's lots of good stuff happening there. I think it's not just thinking about the cost of entering the zone and yes that can be substantial for some fleets where they still have some non-compliant vehicles but it's also looking at the wider piece of what some councils are doing. So yes Bristol did look at having a diesel ban. Oxford have taken very bold measures in terms of looking at a zero emission zone but they've been working for some years on creating those limitations and you look at what they've done with their bus networks and and so on so i think looking forwards it's it's yes how do we get compliant vehicles but it's then also looking at what councils will be doing in years to come to improve clean air so, we know that Birmingham in recent months have been talking about the way in which the roads are used. So there will be some roads the where certain vehicles are simply not allowed to travel, and that might be at certain times a day. But that's the kind of thing that we need to be mindful of, is it's what's coming next. So we've got clean air zones coming through this year and into next year, but what else are those councils planning to do that might interrupt and interfere with, with operations? particularly if you've got more logistics or multi-site, multi-drop type drivers. Those sorts of things could cause more interference with business rather than just paying a clean air zone charge as it stands today.
0: And I would urge those county councils, and again, kudos to to Manchester and 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 Andy Burnham and Co. Have you know recently you know started that kind of interaction process with big business and and interested parties, including ourselves, to try and understand you know how how we can solve some of the issues. Because the the issues with cars is one thing, but the issues with industries and vans and older vans, particularly in the SME space, where. People will still be driving, you know, eight or nine year old vans. And this is really significant as a business. So, again, encouragement to the, to the county councils to reach out to local businesses, national businesses, experts, SMMT, the likes of Centrica, the likes of Mighty, the likes of Virgin, the likes of Sky, to kind of reach out and say, well, how, how do we solve some of this stuff? How do we adhere to our clean air zone aspirations and keep business moving? You say there are more expected in 2022. You know, Bristol is awaiting final sign-off. At the moment, the Bristol website says see Birmingham pretty much in terms of what its plans are, and it has abandoned its, its diesel only, as you quite rightly say. Greater Manchester seems, you know, has had to hit pause for the time being because, you know, there has been quite a lot of consternation as to, as to how they resolve those things. But Bradford, Sheffield, the Oxford improvements. And again, one of the complications is each of the clean air zones has its own standards. And as we've seen, it's not just a cat A, B, C or D categorisation. They do start to introduce their own regulations for target areas, which is is really confusing for fleets.
1: It is confusing. And... The fact that you are having to look at those different locations and consider the, the impact for 10 or more different cities, for drivers, for fleets, managing that, for understanding costs and eventually understanding what you can and can't do. So I think the pressure is on for people to, to transition into compliant vehicles and to you know accelerate that move to EV, even though for some vehicles... That's still somewhat of a challenge because of the the lack of usable product. You think around electric vans, the range is is still low in comparison to cars. So how's that going to pan out over the coming years? So again, it's that pressure on fleets to be thinking about this year, five year, ten year plans, considering all of those different factors and the sorts of products that they need to be pushing for, liaising with manufacturers and with you know other energy providers uh, that whole piece again it's it's more complicated than it used to be
0: mm. and indeed we are doing a, a fleet navigator podcast episode just on clean air zones, so look out for that when it comes and i guess not to finish on a down note this is a difficult one but the pandemic is still with us and and certainly some of you know this this it's a big topic with lots of kind of moving parts in terms of some of some of its effects probably you know don't want to dwell on it, but we we can't avoid talking about the semiconductor issue sat here as two fleet professionals that are working with customers at the moment to understand when long lead times are are going to cease. You know, we're, we're in... Almost unprecedented times at the moment, with manufacturers adjusting list prices, adjusting discounts, um, and and for good reason behind the scenes. We've recently seen that VW ID3, ID4, ID5 have all been removed from from quoting systems as VW can't take are unable to take any more orders because they're unable to guarantee supply and they're not the only ones this is not this is not a finger-pointing exercise i have a great deal of empathy and sympathy in terms of you know how these things are affecting customers and drivers who are the end effect you know for us we we lease vehicles but at the end of the day this is this is keeping mobile and it's you know it's fantastic product and it isn't just electric it isn't just hybrid we're seeing it on the mainstream sides as well and i you know what can we say about the semiconductor shortages when when is it going when is it going to end
1: well hopefully there is a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel and, and the sorts of comments that manufacturers are making at the moment that you know we are talking of of months and come the back end of the year we'll be in a better position etc etc but it's been acutely difficult because Coming out of the pandemic with an awful lot of change, you know, wanting to accelerate that EV transition, but not being able to get the product. And I think where where product has been available, not available, you know, some being completely withdrawn from quoting or stocks being considerably shrinked, pricing affected by discounts or lack of, you know, everything has been moving at different paces with different manufacturers on different days of the week. So. <laughs> To say that it's been a fluid situation would be a huge understatement, and and certainly in terms of conducting fleet reviews of, of choice lists and vehicle positioning is acutely difficult and will remain so for some weeks, where... Sometimes the the vehicles are available, sometimes they're not, or their price changes or their discount structure changes. So, you know, we are used to having a period of time where the relative position of vehicles changes, but doesn't change hugely. And you get some degree of familiarity of, of what a grade choice list might look like. Well, in recent weeks and months, that's kind of gone out the window. So, trying to keep drivers in a position where they've got some consistency of of the type of vehicle that they're able to choose from, just it, it isn't really isn't there. So, it is a case of navigating your way through that oh, like um, until that. things settle down. But yeah, it it has to be a very fluid, you know, agile situation. And certainly we're trying to support clients when looking at choice lists to set something up that is usable manageable now that doesn't need to be reviewed on a weekly basis because that's just not manageable for a fleet to to be doing that that level of review but yeah i'm kind of tapping wood now thinking in another six months time it will hopefully be a bit better or we'll have some certainty as we move through to the end of the year into next year about at what point we we feel like it's a little more normal but yeah it's it's been a really really tough time for everybody i think
0: mm. yeah and I, I guess for me continuing con- continue to consult with you know whoever you use in terms of fleet guidance fleet advice you know we've mentioned at insights a couple of times and we're always more than happy to have conversations with people about how we do these things and and, and best guidance but continue to engage really because it is on a changing basis. As Caroline said, some manufacturers are starting to point towards the back end of Q2 this year for things to start to improve, which is really good. Hyundai is 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 amongst those, but obviously the tail will probably be with us throughout this year and, and, and into 2023. Semiconductor shortages, you know, they've affected vehicle production, but 2021 was better than 2020 overall. Hopefully in 2022, that continues the trend. So. That's all for this episode of Fleet Navigator, your go-to guide for everything fleet-related.
1: If you listen out for our next episode on clean air zones and ESG, in fact, you can subscribe to the podcast and get notifications as soon as it's live. In the meantime, take a look at our website, insights.leaseplan.co.uk, for all the latest news.